my friends, all of my, most of my clients, the individual clients, all are not net losers. Yeah. You, you know, they, I made a lot of money for them. I was making 20% return for them doing arbitrage for years. All the A and B clients, all of all of my friends, everybody else. You know, mm-hmm. it was the people that came in very late in the game that, that, that got hurt. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Hana Jaffe-Wald. Today is Tuesday, March 1st, and that was Bernie Madoff. You heard at the top of the show, he was doing an interview from prison with New York Magazine. Today on the Planet Money podcast, we are going to be asking, is it better to have an economic system that is kind and forgiving or one that is harsh and ruthless? We look at one country where people get second chances, they can mess up and start over again, and another country where the system viciously pursues you for every mistake you make. Which country is kind and which vicious might surprise you. But first, our Planet Money Indicator from Jacob Goldstein. Today's Planet Money Indicator, $1.2 trillion. Yes, that's trillion with a T. The U.S. government owes China $1.2 trillion. Not only is this obviously a very big number, it's actually quite a bit bigger than we thought. The U.S. Treasury Department, it just released the latest estimates for how much U.S. debt is held overseas. And the estimate for China, it rose by about a third. And you know this, we often refer to this as the big global imbalances that we talk about a lot. China exports more than it imports. It sells more than it buys. And the U.S. imports more than it exports. So it buys more than it sells. And the result of that, we keep buying things and the dollars keep piling up in China. So China ends up taking all those dollars and buying treasury bonds, basically lending the money back to the U.S. You know, it's always interesting to me when we find out just how much money the U.S. owes China. I think the first reaction that a lot of people have is to feel scared by that number, like, oh, my goodness, China owns us. China completely controls us. But another way to think about it, $1.2 trillion, that's like a quarter of China's economy almost. That is a huge amount of money. And maybe just maybe in China, they're thinking, oh, man, the U.S. owns us. They owe us so much money. We are really worried that if anything ever happened to the U.S. economy, it would just destroy the Chinese economy. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, China really needs the U.S. I mean, they need us to keep buying their stuff. And and like you say, they need us to pay back all that money they keep lending us. I mean, basically, if you're China, you're thinking the U.S. is too big to fail. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks, guys. Today's show was inspired by my trip to Spain and basically by one number. I came across this statistic that really shocked me while I was there. And it is this, that In the last three months of 2010, of last year, fewer than 3% of Spanish mortgage holders were late on a payment. I got to say, that is crazy. The last three months of 2010, Spain was in this economic tailspin. It was collapsing. We kept doing all these stories about how Spain was about to implode and bring down all of Europe and maybe the entire world economy. Unemployment in Spain is nearly twice what it is in the U.S. And 97 percent, more than 97 percent of Spanish people just kept paying their mortgage each month. I know. So it made me really curious. I mean, especially because nearly 10 percent of American mortgage holders were late on a payment. So, you know, the U.S. isn't doing great. Our economy is not doing that great right now. But the end of last year was way better than Spain's. So I want to understand this. What is going on? And I don't want to offend any 
listeners in Spain. I think we do have some. But, you know, when I hear about Spain, I don't think, wow, that is a country that is just the gold standard of economic responsibility. So I started asking just everyone in Spain, you know, why is that number so low? Why are you all still paying your mortgages despite how bad the overall economy is doing? And it turns out that a big part of the reason is that Spanish banks are mean. Spanish banks make American bankers look like a bunch of softies. So Adam, take the case of Frederic Letien. Frederic lives outside Madrid, and she translates technical documents from Spanish to French. She's French. She's been doing this work in Spain for decades, and the work has always been steady. And then a couple years ago, pretty suddenly, her work just dried up, and she could no longer make mortgage payments to her bank. They called me every day tell, telling me, you have to, 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 to put money, and if I had 100 euros, I, I, I used to put it in the mortgage, but... It was never enough. Frederic panicked. She took jobs and she did things she never would have considered before. Filled in for secretaries on maternity leave. She temped at a restaurant. At a low point, she asked her ex-husband for money. I had to, to sell my, my grandma's jewelry. Was there something very mine? You know, I had to, to go and, and sell it just uh, to, to pay. I had enough to pay two months. So why didn't she just walk away? That's what we keep hearing about in the U.S. People get behind in their mortgage. They just walk away from the mortgage and let the bank figure it out. So this is where we get to the mean banks. Frederic can't. In Spain, they have what's called recourse mortgages, which means if you can't pay your mortgage, the bank has recourse. They can go after everything you own, your car, your investments, your wages. There's no way out. And that's it. I mean, for the rest of my life, I know it. But I can't do anything about it. I don't know next month what is going to, to, to occur. I don't know. I'm just leaving uh, the day today. And tomorrow I will see. I, ca- I, I cannot um, plan anything. I feel handcuffed. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now, this does not happen as often in the U.S. Many states require that the bank give you a non-recourse mortgage when you buy a house. The bank has no recourse. If you can't pay your mortgage, they get to keep your house. Your credit score is ruined. But then they just have to leave you alone. They don't come after your car or your grandma's jewelry or your wages. But in Spain, you hear stories all the time of banks acting on their recourse abilities. This is something people really live in fear of and talk about a lot. One guy told me he stopped paying his mortgage to the bank and the bank came and took his car. I met this 25-year-old designer woman who told me that her bank called her at some point to say, you know, how come you're able to keep paying your phone bill but you're not paying your mortgage? And just recently, there was this big story in Spain that, that a British couple had bought a vacation home in Spain on the coast during the boom. And after the crash, they defaulted on their mortgage, and the Spanish bank went after their apartment in the U.K. And it's not just people with the mortgages that get pursued. I met this really lovely, mild-mannered retiree, Anusieta Bremont, and back in 2005, she had a friend, Teresa, who wanted to buy a place. And Teresa had spotty job history. She had bad credit. So the bank told her they weren't going to give her a loan unless someone with good credit guaranteed her loan. So Teresa tells this to her friend, Anusieta, and Anusieta says, sure, I'll sign your loan, no big deal. 
I'm an idiot, I'm an idiot. And I said, well, poor Teresa, no, don't worry, I, I, I guarantee you, I, I have done that many times. I, I, I didn't know her so, so many years ago. I, I trust her, but... But she shouldn't have trusted her. Teresa lost her job, and then she couldn't get another one. Anusieta swears she didn't even try to get another one. Teresa stopped paying the mortgage, and Anusieta was on the hook. And Anusieta was really worried that the bank was going to come and take her apartment and her pension from her, basically everything she has. Are you still friends with Teresa? No, no. She, she wasn't my, my friend anymore. Anusieta eventually did manage to work something out with Teresa and the bank, and so far she's managed to keep her house and pension. Man, it's like the Inquisition never left Spain. It just sounds like the worst place in the world. I'm so glad I don't live there with those vicious, rapacious bankers. Well, the, th- the thing that I learned coming back from Spain over the last couple of months is that it's not just Spain. In Europe, Japan, Australia, actually most of the developed world, this is a very standard way of doing things. It's actually us here in the U.S. that are kind of the unusual ones letting homeowners abandon their homes if they can't pay their mortgage. So, in fact, that's my big question. Which way is better, to recourse or not to recourse? Can I say I don't quite understand why you're even asking? Like, obviously, non-recourse is better. If you lose your home, you want to be able to walk away from it. And I don't even say that as, like, a, a celebration of irresponsible American, you know, crazy debt living. I mean... Reneging on debts is a bedrock of America's financial success. <laughs> really? That's your you're going to run for election with that as your as your premise? <laughs> I know. I'm I am actually totally serious. You know, over the past century, there's no economy that for that long has grown as much as us. We've outgrown all of Europe. We've outgrown Japan, and. One of the key reasons when you talk to economic historians, what makes America special? One of the key things is that in America, we embrace failure. Our whole economy is set up so that people can take big risks, get the rewards. And if those risks don't work out, there's a mechanism in place, non-recourse loans, bankruptcy, where people can just dust themselves off, move on to the next big idea. Atif Mia is an economist at UC Berkeley, and he says, yeah, just look at startups. In the U.S., it's uh, thought of uh, as very entrepreneurial, a positive thing. If you can have a startup uh, that you are, you know, something you're starting on your own. And if it turns out you don't succeed, it's not generally frowned upon and certainly not seen as something extremely negative. If, in fact, in some cases, it's, it's seen as a positive sign that, you know, you did something on your own. Okay, it didn't work out, but the society is willing to forgive you and give you another chance, so to speak. And obviously, for every Google or Apple that brings a lot of growth and jobs to the American economy, there are thousands and thousands of startups that were maybe equally brilliant ideas, but for whatever reason, didn't work out. And the owners were able to declare bankruptcy, come up with some other brilliant idea, get lots and lots of financing. And then when that didn't work out, they could go on and on and on. And Mia says the same thing goes for mortgages. You and the bank, you go into this deal together. You're, you're jointly taking this risk. And if it turns out that you can't afford it, it you know, it, it's painful, but there is a process for getting beyond that, for being able to go on and live the rest of your life. Adam, I want to remind you of a couple things. 
huge internet startup bubble and crash, followed by a huge housing bubble and crash. You remember those things? Yeah, I, I do remember Okay. Those. <laughs> do you remember our banking system and very way of life almost collapsed recently? Yeah, I do. I, I, yeah, we've been reporting on that. <laughs> so maybe people and banks wouldn't have taken such huge risks if they knew failure would stay with them for the rest of their entire lives. A recourse loan, the kind that they have in Spain, forces some amount of discipline. So now you're going to run for president? You're going to say, I, Hannah Jaffe Walt, <laughs> will make it easier for banks to go after you and be vicious and take all your money so that it will give you more discipline. I, I don't see the American voter really, really signing on for your platform. Well, uh, perhaps it's not very popular to say this, but I don't think it's a bad thing. This guy might not be American, but he is <laughs> on my side. This is Javier Andres. He's an economist at the University of Valencia. And he says that if Spain had non-recourse loans, if they had loans where the bank couldn't pursue you beyond your home, the economic problems in Spain would be so much worse. When people aren't afraid of their banks, they take out more loans, bigger loans, riskier loans. If it wasn't because of this of this law, my hunch is that the amount of mortgages that we all, I mean, most people, including myself, would, would have asked for would have been much higher. So the level of indebtedness would have been much higher too, and banks will be even in, in, in a, an even worse position than they are now. What you mean is that it prevents people from taking out a mortgage sort of carelessly. Yeah, that, that's, that's as simple as that. This is, this is my some moral hazard thing here. Well, what about moral hazard on the bank side, though? Maybe the bank loans out more money because they know that eventually they can recover it from you somehow. That is true. That is true. Uh, there has been uh, uh, wrongdoings on both sides of the, of the market. This idea, though, that recourse loans do encourage some amount of discipline on the borrower's behalf, that seems to be true in the U.S. too. So in the U.S., we have some states that look like Spain, where banks are allowed recourse to people's other assets, and some states that don't. And when economists compare borrowers in these two states, they find that people are more like Spain in recourse states. They don't default on their loans as much. I mean, I got to say, I am reluctantly being convinced. You're on my side now. I am now thinking maybe recourse is best. I mean, you are making a point. It's good for the whole overall system. Because if banks know everyone is more cautious, they can give lower interest rates. People like me, I don't own a home. I'd like to buy one one day. It means I could probably get a mortgage at a lower rate. I could probably buy a house for a little cheaper because there's not all these speculators out there easily getting you know, non-recourse loans and clogging up the whole system. So I guess recourse is best. All right. Now that I've got you on my side, I'm going to ditch you here on this side and say there is another argument here for the other side, though, for the non-recourse side. You just want to be wherever I'm not. <laughs> You're going to come to where I am, too, now. OK, so picture this. Think of all those people in Spain with recourse loans. Think of what they're doing. They are doing exactly the opposite of what we want people to do in a recession. They're selling off everything they have of value. They're hunkering down. They're afraid of any risk. And they're not spending money. So here's UC Berkeley's Atif Mia again. Now when you go and try to seek a new job or try to do... Uh, to try to create a new business, you know that for every dollar that I generate, maybe half of it will go to the bank who uh, I owe money to from before. And if there are a significant number of such individuals, what's going to happen, they are not going to have as much of an incentive to go and seek work. So the employment levels are not going to rise that much. Or uh, they are not going to have enough 
incentive, but also enough capital to start a business of their own. So business creation is going to be too low. Uh, if you force that person to to sell their other assets as well, then that individual may not have enough money to, for example, pay for their children's education or their health and so on. And so you need to be lenient towards such individuals. All right. I'm I am getting confused because there seems to be really good arguments for recourse loans and for non-recourse loans. So let me just, can we sum them up real quick? Um, so, So with recourse loans, the loans where the bank can go after everything you own, life is clearly much worse if you can't pay your mortgage. That's a really bad, bad world to live in. But- in the recourse world, there are a whole bunch of positives. If, if you're buying a home, the price will probably be cheaper because there's fewer speculators buying homes. You can probably get a cheaper mortgage, a lower interest rate mortgage, because the bank knows you're less of a risk. They, they trust you more because they know they can go after everything you've got. And the banks themselves are probably healthier because more people are paying their mortgages. Now, in the non-recourse world where the bank can get your house, but that's it – People get to start over, and that's really, really good. That That is very helpful for the overall economy, except when banks are close to collapse and could bring down the entire economy with them. <laughs> you know, Hannah, you know what, I, what I've determined? What's that? That it's really good to be a journalist. You know, we don't have to decide. We get to just present both sides, and we don't have to pick one. That's a pretty cushy position to be in. Now, I I have to assume that among our listeners, those who are mortgage givers, bankers, we do have many bankers who listen, that they probably prefer recourse. They'd rather be able to go after everything, get all the money back. And then I'm guessing the much larger number of our listeners who are mortgage borrowers, I'm guessing they would much prefer non-recourse. That might be true in the U.S. where we have a culture of having non-recourse loans. But remember that woman, the, the translator who sold her grandmother's jewelry, Frederic, who you heard at the top of the show? The one in handcuffs. Right, right. So I, in our conversation, I told her, you know, in the U.S., a lot of people walk away from their mortgages and start over, and that allows them to begin again. And I figured she, of all people, would really like that idea. But when I told her, she kind of looked at me like I was crazy. I knew that if if you if you take a loan and you don't pay it, the bank will go after you. It's normal, I mean, of course. Adam, actually, I talked to other people with recourse loans in Spain and also Australia and Ireland, and they were all like Frederic. It sort of made sense to them. If a bank loans you money, they kept saying, the bank will do whatever it can to get that money back. You can see a graph of how much money the U.S. owes to lots of other countries around the world. It's on our blog at npr.org slash money. As always, we want to hear what you thought of today's show, recourse versus non-recourse. You can email us at planetmoney at npr.org, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. And I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening.